you would, grab a Bible, head over to Psalm 119 today. We're going to be beginning in verse 49, not because we're skipping it, because in years past we've actually covered up to this point in the psalm. Uh, This psalm, Psalm 119, is a giant acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza is made up of eight verses, and uh, they each begin with the same Hebrew letter for eight verses in a row. Uh, So in years past, we looked at Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, and Vav, and then today we'll be looking at uh, Zion and Het. And so uh, that means that the first verse section we're looking at, every single one of those in the Hebrew begins with the same letter, Zion. And the next one, every single sentence begins or verse begins with the same letter at. Uh, so anyway, as we read, I want you to notice something that this entire passage is actually a prayer to God. It's not just statements about God, but a prayer to God. 22 times the psalmist writes, you or your speaking to the Lord. Uh, and as we look at this, all, all of this 119th psalm, the overarching theme of it is the word of God. Uh, And you notice that real quick, that even in these 16 verses that we're looking at today, uh, he uses eight different terms to refer to the scriptures. He says, your word, your promise, your law, your rules, your statutes, your precepts, your testimonies, uh, and your commandments. And so the the plan today, as far as the way we're going to work through this, is we're going to simply read through it once, and then we're going to go through it a verse or two at a time and see what the Lord has to teach us. Uh, So follow along as I read Psalm 119. Beginning in verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my song in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart to be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten to do and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for how you have relentlessly pursued us, for how you have revealed yourself in the scriptures. We have so much to learn from your word, so much to learn in this psalm today. Please push the distractions away and enlighten our minds to understand the poetry we see before us. And would you apply it to our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit? May we, like the psalmist then, seek our portion in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So while the overarching theme of of Psalm 119 is God's word, the the emphasis in this first stanza we're looking at is on God's comfort during times of suffering or affliction. See, as he begins praying here, he's asking God to remember his word, to remember his promise, because God's promises are the psalmist's only hope. He's praying essentially 
God, don't forget. Don't forget what you have promised to do for me as one of your chosen people. Listen again. Verse 49 and 50. He says, remember your word to your servants in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. I found that over, over the years that, that many Christians, if they're honest, have a very difficult time believing the promises of God. Maybe, maybe that's because we're just jaded by the empty words of people or, we're, um, you know, or because we've seen so many baseless promises of companies that don't follow through. We just don't believe the promises anymore, even if they are from God, right? We, we just have this, this trouble sometimes. And, and I'll encourage you if, you, if you have trouble believing the promises of God, that, that you would pray and speak to this directly to God about this. Something like, Lord, I know you are real. I know you died upon the cross for me, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling to believe that, that you care that, that, that about my day-to-day life. Or that you have my good in view because I see so much pain. I experience so much frustration. Lord, help me to believe your promises. Something like I, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I hope you feel you can go to the Lord and pray like that. But, but I also want us to learn from the psalmist here. You know, look, look, he, he looks to God's comfort or God's word for his comfort. While he's in the midst of his frustrations. Because the, the Bible creates in our lives endurance. The promises of Scripture, they lighten the load uh, uh, that is on our backs, the weight of the world that we carry around. The Scriptures, or as Tim Keller has said, uh, said of the Scriptures, he said, it's truly, it truly is spiritual manna that keeps us on our feet and able to go. That's why we must always begin our time in, in God's Word, praying, asking God for enlightenment. I don't just mean collectively, corporately, but when you sit down in your, your own house, at a coffee shop, wherever it is, you might open the Word of God, that you, you, you pray for God to enlighten your mind, to, to know this, to understand it, to learn from it. Because we're not coming to the Scriptures as academics, but as, as disciples. And so we, we can and we ought to, to come to the Lord and, and pray, Lord, speak to me through your Word. I expect to, to learn, to commune with you here. Now look at verse 51 here. This could be an absolute theme verse for American Christians for just the foreseeable future. The, the psalmist here tells God, The insolence utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. He, he's saying, God, even though they mock me, even though they make fun of me, even though they belittle me, I will not turn away from your word. This is where I'm finding hope. You see, as a, a Christian in this world, you either have been mocked for your beliefs at this point, or, or you will be mocked for your beliefs at this point. You've, you've been mocked because you believe that God created the world, or you've been mocked because of your puritanical sexual views, or any other worldview, any other beliefs that you might, you might hold on to because of Scripture. You see, the, the things we believe from Scripture in the past have, have been more mainstream. We, growing up in a Christian culture, the older you are, the more you probably remember that our nation seemed to be a little more in line with what we understand as, as Christian values, Christian view, worldview. And, and yet, um, as the culture changes, the unchanging beliefs of Christians that have been the same for thousands of years have begun to seem a little bit odd in our society. And so honestly, you should expect to get mocked for your faith. At some point. But don't ever let it mock you out of your faith. See, we're, we're a culture of trends. We, we like trends. 
Everything is, is built around this. But your relationship with, with God should not be influenced by current trends. And so we've got to be careful then that we're not, we're not crowdsourcing our theology. That we're not crowdsourcing our, our faith, our ethics, our belief in the Lord Jesus uh, Christ. In other words, when you're looking for truth, don't go and quiz the masses. Trust the scripture. This might sound a little ridiculous to some of you, um, but I first believed the gospel in, in June of 1995. That part shouldn't sound ridiculous to you. Um, but this part, that, that some of the most encouraging words that I heard at that time were on a Christian CD released two months after that. Uh, it, it's now a, a classic album by DC Talk, Jesus Freak. How many of you are old enough to even know what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> In that title song, they, they basically summarize the experience here in Psalm 51 uh, when, when they say, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. Y'all want to sing that, don't you? There ain't no disguise in the truth. And, and, and as a 17-year-old, newly coming to faith, walking through the halls of a giant uh, public high school, this was an anthem for me as I was learning to wear this label of Christian in a place that it didn't feel comfortable doing so. But I'll, I'll say even greater to my confidence than, than that anthem uh, is the story of Jesus and his disciples in John 6. Jesus, Jesus had become popular. Sometimes, I, if you've not read through the Gospels recently, you might have missed this, but, but Jesus becomes popular early on because he's healing people. People are amazed. They want to see miracles. It's just amazing things to see. And, and then he starts saying some strange things about his future, about what his death's going to look like and, and, and such. And, and these things aren't so popular. And the masses begin to turn away from him, to leave. Okay this guy's a little weirder than we thought. Let's not follow him anyway. And then in John 6, verse 66, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and, and he asks them, do you want to go away as well? And I love it because that's kind of the question that I was faced with over and over again as I was, I was growing up learning to, to, to take on this, uh, this new faith of mine was this question, you know, everyone's thinking this is weird. Do, do you want to go away as well? And, and Simon Peter here answers. I love Simon Peter. He, he responds, Lord, to, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. Where else can you go? So you may be mocked for your faith, but, but don't ever turn away from the Holy One of God or his eternal words uh, of life, the eternal life, words of life. In, in verse 52, we see that even the psalmist in his time, the word of God was, was considered old. How many times have you heard that insult, right? That's just an old book. Forget about that. He also takes comfort in that. He says, uh, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. He, he's referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible is what he's specifically thinking about. But, but let me ask you, do you find comfort in, in God's word? It's, it's, not, it's not that God will always take away the suffering. It's not that God will always take away our frustrations in, in, in this life. But the scriptures are given by God as a genuine source of comfort while we are going through that suffering. Which is why if, if you need comfort in your life today, you need to be seeking the Lord in the scriptures. That, that's what you need. In verse 
53, we see some, some of his frustration. He says, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. You can't forsake or abandon someone or something you've never known. And so this is talking about other Israelites, those who have known the law of God, those who, who should know it and have simply chosen to disregard it. I mean, think about it. When, when you learn just some, some woman down the street who doesn't know the Lord is sleeping with her boyfriend, it doesn't bother you in the same way as when you learn a, a sister in Christ is willfully doing the same thing. That's because your sister in Christ in, in that moment is choosing to forsake the word of God. We, we know that. And that's an extreme example. We all do it in a bunch of little ways. Now, now, we need to be careful here because our natural inclination is to be very angry at others, very hard on them, sin, to, to judge them harshly. And at the same time, very, very easy on ourselves to, to disregard our, our, our sin. And, and that's not the way it should be. It, it should be quite the opposite, really. And I don't mean that we should feel guilt constantly for our sin. It's forgiven in the Lord. What I mean is that we should be quick to recognize our sins, quick to acknowledge it as sin, and, and yet patient with others as they are, as they are working through it. And so as we look here, I want you to understand that, that the psalmist here is very upset, yes, but, but he's not lashing out. He's, he's broken at how they have treated God's word. It absolutely breaks his heart. I'll give you another story from, from my high school years. I, I had a, a wonderful youth pastor. His name was Todd Burnett. He was an Atlanta Braves fan, but it's better than Yankee fan. Um, he, he was patient with us when we struggled with sin. He, he was forgiving of us when we break things in the church building, which was more often than it should have been. Um, he had a great understanding that, that teenagers are just, just goofy in that era. But I'm never going to forget that him getting absolutely red-faced angry at us uh, completely. You see, there's a, a group of guys that, that were part of that, that youth group, that church. Uh, we're all Christians. We were, we were seeking the Lord together. And, and one day we decided to go see this movie called Barbed Wire Together. Barbed wire, if you've never heard of it, if you're younger than 40, actually, and probably never heard of it, let me just say it was not going to sanctify us in any way. Um, and we knew that. Up front, we knew that. We knew that the content was very, very contrary uh, to, to what God's word would desire for us. And, and, and yet we went and we saw it anyway. Todd found out. Um, that's still a mystery today how he found out. Uh, but he did, and he calls us all inside, uh, into his office one day, and he's so upset that we chose to do that. Not because we're sinners, he knew that, but because we had absolutely in that moment chosen to forsake the scriptures and, and that choice we're making. You know, uh, none of us spoke up in that moment. You'd, you'd be shocked. None of us spoke up and said, you know what, let's go see something else. We knew better. And Todd in that moment was absolutely filled with hot indignation because he expected us to care about the word of the Lord. Because he knew that we, we cared about the Lord. We were seeking to follow him. That's the psalmist here. And then Psalm 54, verse 54 and 55 say, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. For, for the psalmist, God's word is, is not just about obeying it as some abstract thing, but it was about worship. The, the word of God then is, is, is obeying it or seeking to obey it was the overflow of, of his heart. 
The, the house of his sojourn that he, that he speaks of here is identified in, in verse 19, much earlier in the psalm, as the earth. In, in other words, that uh, this, this, this planet, this earth, is, is not his ultimate home. We, we learn this in the New Testament, that we are not ultimately citizens of, uh, of even our nation. That we are ultimately citizens of God's kingdom. And then in the final verse of this stanza, he says, The blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. He's found the blessings of obedience. In other words, it's not a burden to obey God's word. There is a joy as your life and the power of the Spirit falls into line with the Scriptures, with God's word. Not perfectly, ever. Not, not until glorification. Not, not perfectly, but progressively. You know, to, to finally see victory over some besetting sin in your life, that is a, a joyful blessing for you to experience. Then as the next stanza begins with these beautiful words, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. The, that word portion, that, that word is an absolute loaded word historically for, for the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Uh, it carried a great deal of weight. They understood it in a way that you and I, when we first read that, don't, don't acknowledge. You see, after the Israelites left the desert, after God had conquered Canaan, Canaan for them, every tribe was given a portion of the land. They, it was like we might you know, divide a strawberry pie. You split it up, and here's your portion, and here's your portion, and here's your portion, except for one tribe. The tribe of Levi didn't get any portion at all. See, the tribe of, of Levi was given this responsibility of, of serving as priests to go to these various these cities in the land. They, they would live there and minister and lead and assist in worship. They, they were to su survive then off the sacrifices that were brought to the Lord. The, a little bit of everybody's stuff basically be, be, became theirs. That's the way the Lord provided for them. Uh, it's kind of like in our family, when I'm, when I'm trying to eat healthy, everyone in my family will get a portion of the pie, right? Everybody but me. I'm the Levite in the family. <clears throat> and so I, I go around and take my Levitical bit off of everybody's. One bite from you, daughter. One bite from you, son. Uh, dad tax is what we call it. One bite here and there. Uh, but listen, God, God explains to the Levites here, though, that, that the reason that they don't get a portion, he explains it in Joshua 13.33, and there it says, they don't get a portion of the land because the Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, is their portion. They, they received the blessing of seeing God work every day. They, they got to see lives change. They got to help lead the, the Israelites in the worship of the Lord. There, there was this closeness, this, this intimacy with God that they, they received with their portion, which was the Lord himself. The, the author of Psalm 119 then here is saying that he, he wants his portion to be God himself. Because he wants that closeness, he wants that intimacy that comes with being close, close to God like that. Do, do, do you know that, that forgiveness is not the greatest gift that God gives us? It's not. You, you see, because the greatest gift that God gives us is, is actually God himself. So, and the reason that God must forgive us is that he can give us that gift of himself. So that we can know him. So that we can enjoy him. So that we can have union and communion uh, with God through Christ. Because listen, to have everything in this world except God is ultimately to have nothing. But if you have God, even if you have nothing else in this world, you ultimately have everything. 
That's the idea of, of the Lord being your portion. That's why he uses the, the covenant language we see there with the word portion. That's why in Jeremiah 30, 22, we also see this covenant language when God says, you shall be my people and I shall be your God. The, the Lord is our portion. That's, that's a true reality for us as Christians, right? We, we know that. Uh, but, but it's also something that we yearn for, that we, we desire to actually uh, tangibly be satisfied with the portion that God has given us, to be satisfied with God himself. I mean, think of it this, this way. What, what portion do you, do you want or desire in life? Or, or do you find yourself tempted to want or desire? Do you, do you, do you desire the portion of, of being famous? Even if you just mean in some small little area of, of whatever you're interested in. Or, or desire to career success or, or to be popular amongst the people you know or financial wealth or beauty or prominence and influence in some area. Or do you ultimately desire your portion in life to be the Lord, to, to have that intimacy, that closeness with the Lord God Almighty? So then we ask this question, right? How, how, do, we, how do we nurture having God as our portion? And the answer is through prolonged time in His Word. It's simple, right? It's too simple that you almost want to wash it away and be, give me a real answer. No. Prolonged time in, in God's Word. Just like you get to know another human through prolonged conversation, that, that's why, you know, in, in this stanza then, we're encouraged to study the Bible. He even explains to us in the next few verses how to study God's Word. And, and he does it by reminding us of the way that he has studied God's Word, the way he sought God's Word. In verse 59 we read, When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Do, do you get that? He looks at his life, and then he looks at God's word, and then he looks at his life, and he makes the adjustments that he needs to make to his life. When I go jogging on the linear trail, I, I have to adjust my feet as I follow the trail. It, it happens so quickly in your mind, so subconsciously, that I, I really don't even think about it much. But what's happening is, is I kind of look at my feet where, where I'm going, and I look at the trail, and then adjustments are made. Do you know how ridiculous I would look if I didn't make those adjustments? I would go right off the trail onto, onto Seth Child, right through the middle of traffic, or I'd go end up in the creek next to me or in the bushes somewhere, right? Um, <clears throat> that's the kind of change he's talking about. You look at your life, you look at God's word, and then you make the adjustments so that you stay on the path that the Lord desires you to go on. Um, the mathematician... Uh, and theologian Blaise Pascal, I think I pronounced that right, uh, refers to this verse 59 here as the turning point of man's character and destiny. It's the turning point because that's where those changes are, are being made in the way that it's explaining this. We, we, we need to often stop and just consider our own character, our own actions, so that we can start to think about what changes do I need to make in my life so that my life can come into better conformity, can come better onto the path that God desires his people to be on. Because the woman or, or man who treasures God must treasure God's word. That's why we always know that something just isn't right. You know that time in your life when you met someone and they tell you, yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I, I follow the Lord, and, and then you just watch them do something or, or, or act in some way that you think, 
what's going on here. It doesn't conform to the way that it should be. And I, and I don't mean some weird cultural sins that, are, that you've kind of caught on to, but I mean like true biblical uh, you know, sins, willfully disregarding the scriptures. That's, that's what Jesus was getting at in Luke 6, 49, or 46, when he asked the crowd around him, and listen, this can be one of the most shaming things I've ever heard if you ask yourself this, but, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's what he asked the crowd there. See, if we don't treasure God's word, we, we simply don't treasure God. And don't hear this as your life should be perfect. It can't be yet. I, I'm talking about an effort towards that, a desire for that. That's, that's why the psalmist says in, in verse 60 even, you know, I, I hasten and do not delay to keep your, your commandments. He's not putting off obedience to later in life. He, he's making the changes immediately. He's not saying, I see this sin, but I like it. Maybe I'll deal with it later on. He, he's going to war against it immediately. In verse 61, the image is that he has been tied up by the wicked. And even then he says, I do not forget your law. Forget your law. See, sometimes the hardest part of obeying is actually remembering that we're, what we're supposed to do. It really is. I mean, we had this, this leak in our house this past week. Underneath the sink, just a drip, a drip, a drip. Laura pointed it out to me. Um, we looked at it and I thought, well, it must be the faucet. Um, and uh, it looks like it was coming from that. So Laura goes out, she buys a whole new faucet and brings it home. And then Sadie Piper and I spend over an hour just trying to remove the old faucet. We've never done this before. There's a rusted bolt that won't move. It takes forever. Eventually, Laura calls the plumber, makes an appointment uh, with the plumber. That's the confidence she had in me. Um, but now that I know that backup's coming, I went back in there and thought, okay, if I mess this up, they'll be coming, right? Uh, so I, I tried and eventually removed the old one and was able to install the new one. Appointment canceled. I'm feeling pretty great about myself. We get the water all turned back on. The faucet works amazing. And, and yet we look under there and still drip, drip, drip. The leak was still there. I wanted to tear it all out again. Ah, but that's the moment that I, I remembered something. When we lived in Kansas City area, uh, we called a plumber for a leak just like this. The plumber came out with a screwdriver, a common Phillips screwdriver, one little turn, about that far, and the whole leak was fixed. $45 for about 30 seconds of his effort, which I think is like $5,400 an hour, which is pretty good pay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we, we wished that we'd known it then, but at this time we actually did know it. But we'd forgotten it. You know, the second I thought about it, it all came back to me, but I had just forgotten it. It wasn't familiar in my mind. I, I, I went under there, made the same tiny turn with a screwdriver, and our sink was absolutely fixed. The leak stopped. We didn't need a new faucet. We didn't need, what we needed was to remember what the plumber had already taught us. See, we are prone as people to forgetting. As, you know, any parent knows this. How often has a corrected child responded to you with the words, I forgot. How, many, how often today, probably? That, that's constantly our struggle. Uh, you see, like the psalmist, we, we must make all effort to remember the words of God, to be familiar with them, to be con constantly spending time in the Word, because that's the way it's going to be familiar to us. That's the way we're going to be remembering it. Yes, memorizing Scripture is wonderful. 
But even if you, you can't do that amazingly, be familiar with it because you're in the word on a regular basis. In verse 62 here, the psalmist writes, At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I read this and it's weird to me because I don't want to be singing anything at midnight. I want to be asleep in my bed. Um, but he's up and he's praising God. This, you know, along with the singing that we saw in verse 54, is, is strangely oddly the actual experience of Paul and Silas and Philippians uh, and Philippi in Acts 16. You, I don't know if you remember the context of that when we went through it a while back, but the, the two of them have been beaten severely by, by the government at this point, and they've been placed in prison for the time being. And in Acts 16.25, we learn about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. There's a jailer there that's responsible for them, that he has just witnessed the suffering that they have received because they are Christians, right? He didn't witness the good life. He didn't witness their life getting better in any great way. Uh, he witnessed suffering, and yet because of their faith, and because he hears them there singing God's praises, he, he sees something. You see, the, the, the singing didn't take their suffering away. It didn't heal Paul's bruises or, or Silas's uh, cuts. But it does lift their spirits. And it, and it was a testimony to the goodness of God, even in the midst of suffering. Singing the praises of God while suffering then was, was their evangelism. It was actually their apologetic to a guy that they probably weren't intentionally trying to reach out to. This, this guard that was listening to them. And what, what, he is, what is he praising God for here in verse 62? Your righteous rules. That's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, we don't tend to like rules anywhere we find them. Um, I mean, stop and think about it. Have you ever thanked God for his rules in Scripture? Yes, I know we've thought... Thank God for the death and the resurrection of Christ, for the forgiveness of our sin. A lot of things in Scripture, but, but for His rules? You're, you're praying something, God, thank you for telling us not to lie to each other. Or, or to not cheat on our spouses, or to steal stuff from the store. Thank you for rules forbidding that we abuse people, or worship false idols, or, or love the world more than you, or hate, hate our sisters. I mean, we, we thank God for His rules because we know God's rules are not shackles. They're more like seatbelts than shackles. Shackles are intended to enslave you, whereas seatbelts are intended to protect you. And until you understand that, you're not going to be able to thank the Lord for His rules. And so He's grateful. And since He knows there's support in community, then He writes this in verse 63. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. He's looking for fellowship with others who value and treasure God's word because he knows that obedience doesn't just happen individually. It happens better in a community of believers. Brothers and sisters, even though we see less and less of the Bible's influence in our culture today, we know that we are not living alone in this life. There are others who are committed to God's word to seek the community or seek out community with these. See, anytime I, I know that a Christian is, is beginning a new job or when they've gone away to, to college or to a new location, the, the best advice I can give them is, is to find a biblically solid church, join it and get involved in it and do it quick. Also, you know, the, 
Find the Christians at your job, wherever you're working. Find the Christians in your dorm. Find, you know, in your deployment. where You, you need brothers and sisters in Christ. Find them. Because in, in Christ, we, we never walk alone. The last verse of our passage then says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. I, I know that we see a world that is full of fighting and strife. And so it sounds odd to read that the earth is full of God's love. But it is. It doesn't mean everybody on the earth is full of God's love. But the earth is filled with God's love. God causes the rain to fall and the crops to grow. He causes the sun to shine and bring warmth. He gives birth and friendship. And we see this more than anywhere else in the way that God shows up as the incarnate Lord. The Word made flesh, the person of Jesus who so loves us that he lays down his own life for all who would trust in him by faith. See, no matter how rough the world gets around us, we can trust that the steadfast, in the steadfast love of Christ. Finally, he asked what we should be praying for daily in our own lives. And I mean this. The last thing he says there is, Lord, teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your word. I want to know you, God. And that means knowing your word. That's the prayer we want to have daily on our, our lips, daily in our hearts. Um, and by that teaching, and we don't just mean that you know it, right? That you can't just say it verbally or in your head, have it memorized. We mean teach it, apply it to my life so that what I'm reading here is, is also true here. That's what we're asking for. Let's, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we know what it's like to be ridiculed for our faith in Jesus. To be mocked for building our lives around your word. We know because we live in a culture that is increasingly belligerent towards Christians. Lord, give us real comfort in the scriptures. Give us comfort in the gospel. Comfort in knowing that while life may be difficult at times, eternity shall be glorious because of our union with Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.